0: This podcast is sponsored by Eco Physiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, back to the podcast. So today we are going to be talking about um, a hard flaccid syndrome, and it's and it's it's a syndrome that men. Um, typically experience, and we're going to talk about how physiotherapy um, can help serve uh, these men with these symptoms. And I am so excited for my guest today, Dr. Susie Gronsky. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be talking about this topic with you.
0: I'm I'm just you know ever since I you know met you back in uh, back in Ontario when we were allowed to travel, I just I'm just really in awe of how you, um, approach men's pelvic health and your knowledge and just like the different styles that you bring in. So I was just like, super excited when you were like, yes, I'll do a podcast. I was like, yay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Again, I'm super humbled. (laughs) All right. I figure, um, you know, the best place sort of for us to start is, can you tell us a little bit about you and like why you became so passionate working with men?
1: Thank you. Yes. So I am a physical therapist. I live in Asheville, North Carolina. And I got interested in working with men several years ago honestly and and it was because of the lack of care really that I noticed you know men in general just not having an outlet or a space to um, to be heard and also to have care adequate care, especially for pelvic health sexual health related subjects they're challenging enough just to talk about for the general population, (laughs) but for men, particularly when something does go wrong down there, there really isn't an outlet or like, uh, yes, I'm going to see this doctor because I know that's where I should be going. Uh, You know, for women in in general, there's a gynecologist, a urogynecologist, you know, there's there's avenues for quote women's health, but that's not really the case as far as uh, care for men. Um, And and so we know know there's a huge gap as far as that goes. And I took it upon myself to fill that need and to help create a a safe space for men to ask their questions related to sexual health and pelvic health without judgment and and really uh, without reservation. Because uh, I think that's a really important aspect to the therapeutic relationship and for men even just being encouraged to get um, health care or care for their most intimate needs.
0: Absolutely. I, I think it's definitely um, needed in in the space. Um and like you said, it's hard sometimes for men to talk about these things, and maybe they'll go to their family doctor because that's usually the f- sort of starting point. Is who's your primary uh, healthcare provider, and you're talking, and you know they might say, "Oh well, you just need some you know medications for your erectile dysfunction," or you know we'll send you to a urologist. I mean, I would assume here the avenue would be like doctor to a urologist, and then the urologist, you know, are sort of like the end all be all for their like care. Like there doesn't seem to be like, you know, we have gynecologists, urogynees, but yeah, I, I don't know that they know where to go
1: right and they're and really based on the literature and a lot of surveys across the board even globally there's a sense of reservation for men to even ask for help particularly there's a huge mistrust in the healthcare community when it comes to again being validated or having affirming care uh, because they are often um, told that you know um, again, I'm saying this in quotes, but, uh, you know, man up, or it's all in your head. Um, there's a stigma between, uh, you know, gender care, ba- basically based on gender. Um, and and I think we can all attest to that <laughs> in different contexts. So, you know, th- it is really challenging for men to even just reach out for help when something happens. Uh, and and we know this across the board, again, as far as literature goes, health seeking behavior for men is different than, than women. And um, the mortality rates are even uh, higher across the board globally for men than they are for women, particularly because of health seeking behavior and you know, preventative care and that such. So it is a huge barrier. And I think if we just have conversations around these um, topics of sexual health and public health uh, in a very non-candid and opening and non-judgmental manner, I think a lot of these um, concerns and issues that men face, particularly when it comes to their sexual and pelvic health um, doesn't have to last as long as they are right now and the care that you know the appropriate care that they need as far as getting help from a physio which Most men still are not being advised to go see or even a sex therapist or counselor. Um, you know those modalities and those resources which are super helpful um, and life changing are not the first line of, of treatment options when it comes to uh, multimodal care.
0: Yeah, I, I agreed. Definitely not uh, not being uh, recommended nearly as um mm-hmm. often as it should be as a as a first line of you know, defense or even in conjunction with some pharmaceutical interventions, right?
1: Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So this is particularly the case, you know, for hard flaccid syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Because I think the most disheartening thing for men who are experiencing these range of symptoms is that nobody believes them when they go to the doctor. Right. So, and, you know, and, and it's it's not entirely their fault. It's, it's just the research doesn't have information for the doctors about this. Like, even when I went to research it, I found two papers. Right. There's only, You're right. And there's only two...
1: Official documented journal articles on the topic and those are, you know, one is a qualitative study and the other one is a case series really just describing and allowing men's stories, the narrative around what they're experiencing to be told and I think that's the first step is to acknowledge that there is an issue or a concern that men are having and that we need to just be, we need to be aware and more educated and not dismissive when it comes to seeking care for these concerns.
0: Absolutely. So let's, let's maybe dive into, you know, what, what are some of the typical presentations or things that men will complain about in, you know, that sort of, quote-unquote, associated with heart flaccid syndrome.
1: Great question to start off with. So what are the common symptoms or themes that we're hearing? And I would like to reference and give credit to this article that I'm actually going to be speaking of in general and alluding to is the um, article called A Qualitative Analysis of Internet Forum Discussions on Heart Plasm Syndrome. Um, and I apologize if I butcher the, the name of the uh, the leading author and, and colleagues, um, but it's Gol, um, uh, first name Murat. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I apologize. I know. I know. Uh, but this is the paper that really has put together a very nice presentation of what men are experiencing. And, and really we know that hard of flaccid is is a self diagnosis by men experiencing um, changes with their genitals and their um, sensation and feeling and function, and so the overlapping. There's a lot of overlapping symptoms with you know other issues, uh, perhaps sexual difficulties like erectile dysfunction or even rapid or early ejaculation, and there's also overlapping symptoms with chronic pelvic pain syndrome or otherwise known as chronic prostatitis. So some of some of the the symptoms are for the penis specifically, where the penis will feel engorged or hard, rubbery, uncomfortable, veiny, alien, weird, um, the sensation of, of being hard, but uh, feeling hard, but, it, but the penis is flaccid. And of course, this is without the intended desire or sexual arousal component, right? Um, There's also might be a slight ache at the base of the penis with erection or post-ejaculation, maybe some scar tissue, which has been reported, but that's very rare. Um, There may be a change in erectile function or the frequency of having erections. So um, no morning erections, Um, the penis may feel like hollow, uh, feel hollow inside, um, difficult to maintain erections. So again, the, the erectile difficulties. And interestingly enough it, people will uh, will say that they feel better lying down versus um, standing upright. Libido is generally low, which I think is a is a given factor here because if there is a threat down below, then naturally. The, you're not going to be performing in the way that you would like if there were, if there were safety involved, right? When we're feeling distress in our bodies, that's going to impact just the overall ability to connect with one's body, feel safe, and be um, and receive pleasure and give pleasure. I mean, that's just a threat. So I know that that's a given, right there. Um, there may or may not be pain involved, as I mentioned earlier. Um, And then as far as urination goes, because there's so much overlap in these symptoms and the neural musculature involved, you may or may not have changes in urination, bladder function, uh, painful urination, weak stream, uh, changes in stream, uh, ejaculation may or may not be painful. And then as with chronic pelvic pain syndrome and chronic prostatitis, exams are normal, as you mentioned, you know, there's no, there's no change in hormone levels, um, there's a normal penile Doppler on ultrasound, uh, there's a normal MRI and other imaging modalities. So really, the diagnostic test to rule in or rule out uh, hard flaccid symptoms, there really isn't one and it's a common thing with any other you know, persistent pelvic pain issue.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, and again, you know, if there is tightness and tension in muscles or fascia, that that's not going to show up necessarily right. on testing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know, so that's where physiotherapy can come in. But we'll we'll, we'll right. get to that afterwards. But um, but yeah, and and I think that's distressing as well that like all the tests are coming back normal, and I think it's distressing that nobody can explain mm-hmm. why it's happening. That's
1: it, and and that's what I believe is that there's something that may have happened, and so based on this uh, qualitative study, what they propose is that there there was probably some precipitating trauma-like event, right? So whether that's with masturbation or some other sexual activity or behavior that uh, may or may not have led to an injury and. You know, I tell men all the time, like just like any other part of your body, this part of your body can also get injured. There's muscles, there's nerves, there's blood flow, there's tissues, and depending on the tissue demands for any given moment, that that could always supersede what your body's able to, your body's ability to adapt in that moment as well. And and so it's it's an accumulative effect, right? So there's some sort of trauma-like event, um, which. To, to some extent, some men will disclose or not disclose because, as you can imagine, it might be very distressing and also, to some extent, embarrassing, particularly if, you know, you're feeling like I did this to myself, right? Right. Or there's, or, or, or there's a blame on, on someone else or something else, right? So there's some sort of traumatic event. Again, not always, but that seems to be the theme. And then that usually leads to, you know, again, injury of tissues, which do, do, does create maybe inflammation, tissue, you know, tissue changes, um, neural changes, like the pudendal nerve and all the branches and arteries. And then, you know, you may or may not end up with inflammation or neuropathy or changes in blood flow to the penis. And, you know, in addition to that, right, that's very distressing. You think you did something wrong. Well, now you're getting your autonomic nervous system all riled up and, you know, god haywire, right? And we know for for physiological functioning of the penis, you need parasympathetic and sympathetic balance. Uh, So, you know, that's all going to be impacted. And then that may lead to symptoms of having hard flaccid, which again, adds to the emotional distress and the distressing thoughts and worry. And then secondary to that, when we have that going on, you are going to have pelvic floor issues like tension and guarding just like any other part of your body you break you know you break your leg or your elbow what are you going to do you're going to guard it you're going to protect it you're going to cradle it you're going to change the way you use that body part and and what you think about that party part body part and you're going to be extra cautious and then you know again as you mentioned just a few minutes ago about you know it's we don't know what's going you don't know what's going on in your body then you go on to the internet and you're finding out Again, there's so much negative information out there because those that do get better or um, perhaps have these symptoms resolve are not on the internet, and so you know, and Google definitely has algorithms set up to have more of those like very you know negative. What are what's getting the most hits, right? And and it's re- usually not the positive stories, so. It's unfortunate because that just feeds into the cycle of the nocebo, placebo effect, right? Negative expectations then precipitate, you know, outcomes and and et cetera, et cetera. So,
0: yeah. And, you know just piggybacking off of you talking about like you break your leg and you break your arm there's th- you know most of us have an understanding of oh i I broke my bone i need to protect it it's going to take x amount of time to heal and mm-hmm. then usually from there like people expect that they're going to need to you know probably stretch it out and they're going to mm-hmm. notice the muscles are you know wasting away because of lack of use and and so there's it's sort of a, a an understanding of the process involved in the healing Mm -hmm. and rehabilitation after you break a bone, right? You can also see that body, you know, you can see the body part. Whereas in in the pelvic floor, you know, you can't see it. Um, We don't think about our genitals as just being, you know, like any other part that may need a specific amount of healing time. Then- Rehabilitation mm-hmm. um, to get it back to functioning. So, so I think there's also that disconnect of not understanding that the healing processes are sort of. I mean, the the, the mechanisms are relatively the same, right? right. Protect the tissue, help it right. aid it in healing, then get it get it back to moving. And right. also, there may be some discomfort associated with that rehab process, right? Correct. Like it hurts to stretch out tissues after a broken bone, right? Correct. But again, I think people have that understanding. Oh, like it's going to hurt for me to do this. And I know I take my time. But when it hurts down there also as part of the, you know, mm-hmm. the process, it's, it's distressing. It is very
1: distressing, particularly for your brain, because your brain naturally, like there's no... You're usually associating your genital stimulation with something that feels good or pleasurable in a sense, right? And so when something is not feeling well down there and you do have um, distress associated with that body part that is a very important body part pooping peeing and sex are vital physiological natural functions and sexual health is part of the health paradigm it is not separate from it is part of the health paradigm just like physical and emotional health are and and so you have all those com- you know all those combinations come together and that, is ca- that causes a, a response an emotional response of this is distressing. And and then that can, again, depending on the person and the situation, the context can cascade into a very um, dark place, uh, which, you know, if you intervene early on with education and understanding of sexual health and our body parts and how they function, and just like you were saying so beautifully, like this part of our body, Also can get injured and there's a natural recovery and healing process that occurs. I think the uh, the distressing thoughts and excessive worry and anxiety around the issue can be turned down quite a bit, which then might help not precipitate things to be chronic, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and and secondary compression of mm-hmm. the nerves that mm-hmm. are trying to, cause it seems exactly. based on the research that there seems to be a, some neurovascular um, component or, or disruption that, you know, blood flow changes. Mm-hmm. And then when you become distressed, as you were saying, the sympathetic nervous system, we clamp down with our pelvic floors and our abdominal right. wall. We, we pull right. inwards, which then impedes blood flow to the nerve that, you know, if the nerve has taken some damage or or the neurovascular mm-hmm. system, we need blood flow getting there, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And all those peripheral changes, like in our
1: tissues, also impact what's happening at the spinal cord level as far as how that body parts being used and our perception of what's going on in our body as far as safety and pleasure go and then you have cortical changes so we know that cortical changes occur in chronic pelvic pain syndrome chronic prostatitis you know there are changes in the brain that occur uh, in response or i don't know if it's in response to but they are occurring uh, as far as 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 higher up the chain and so you know that that also happens in and again any distressing event that may happen in our tissues that is not being resolved
0: and the threat is still ongoing. Um, yeah. So why why isn't heart flaccid like um, a diagnosis? Does it need to be a diagnosis? Good question. <laughs> in my opinion, I don't
1: – I think – language is important to be able to name something and to be able to label an experience that someone is having in their body. People really want to know is what if am i normal and is what is happening to me normal or am i the only person. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I do think that having a label or a diagnosis can be helpful. Now whether or not we are attached to this diagnosis like we need, we need to really zoom out and say, okay, I have this diagnosis. What do I think about it? Because if I, say, if I say, okay, I have hard flaccid or chronic pelvic pain syndrome, does that mean that I am doomed for life based on what I understand about these symptoms? Or does this mean like, oh, I finally, I'm not the only one. uh, experiencing this and there's a group of people who do and actually there's help for this you know so it depends on our perspective as far as what we do with the labels or the 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 semantics around what's happening but I do think it is important to have language to identify or to explain the unexplainable right Mm -hmm. how do you explain something that's so hard to describe in words and especially when there's a, a dismissive and non-affirming context to this experience of what men are going through. So I think it's important for men to have this label. I really do think that that's important to have because it validates them. It validates their experience. And I think that's really important as far as the healing process. So in that sense, yes. Do I think there's a lot of overlapping symptoms with hard flaccid? Of course, you know, I don't think it's one solo thing that, is a pathology in, in my opinion. I don't think so. I don't think we have enough evidence to support that. I think there's so many overlapping, um, cu- you know, overlapping things that, um, def- you know, are part of this picture. And we also don't know what is normal. <laughs> I think that's important to address that. We don't know what normal is, <laughs> as far as even just you know, physiological function for, for a penis, right? Because everyone's experience is so different. Even like pain, there's no normal around pain. You know, there isn't one normal subjective experience that everyone experiences. It's very personal. Uh, and the other thing is that I, I'd be curious to see what researchers do. And this is a question I'm proposing to the researchers is, you know, um, do these changes happen normally to men? who are having these issues and how many men experience these changes in in their genitals, but they're not distressing for them because they view it as a normal, you know, things change all the time. I'm just curious. Again, we need to define what our normal is and then we need to Mm -hmm. define, well, whether or not these, these changes are naturally occurring in men um, who are not really complaining of these symptoms. And that's where it becomes tricky because if, if men are experiencing these things, they're not complaining about it because for them, they're aware of what's, their body and their body's functioning in certain ways and it's okay. And we'll never hear from those
0: guys. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So, Which adds to sort of the distress, you know, um, because I think men with this, with these um, experiences that they're feeling in their body are wondering, like, when, like, is it going to go away? Like, as you were saying, like, is this a forever thing? right
1: right and again there's some precipitating factor that makes them even question something's going on with my penis like there's something that that kind of brings your attention that grabs your attention to a body part that normally you would not be paying attention to so that also makes me wonder like well how much of the stuff that you're experiencing is what was normal for you but now that we're paying attention a little bit more to this body part are, are you noticing changes that may or may not have been there before? And again, not to be dismissive here, but just to kind of zoom out and, and, and see it like it is as far as, you know, um, something happened that made you question this body part or attend to this body part, just like pain does. Pain grabs our attention and and motivates us to do something, right? Change our behavior, uh, lifestyle, et cetera. And this is similar in that essence of you know, there was some sort of precipitating event, and based on this qualitative study uh, and these forum discussions, there's some sort of traumatic event that happened to the tissues, and and then that's when it kind of all started. That that's when it starts to cycle, or go down a path. And
0: mm-hmm. I think it's helpful just to state that you know, um, you know, there there are events that happen to the tissues, and then there's changes that happen in the nervous system. But we also know that those changes can also be unwritten to some extent, you know, right? Like there's neuroplasticity, there's, um, your, your, your body's, you know, going to heal and there's, our bodies are always changing, remodeling. Um, you know, I think, well, personally, I feel like the role of physio in, in this sort of realm is to help people, you know, manage and Mm -hmm. optimize the healing process and, finding ways to return back to activities they love despite having symptoms right. how do we how do we begin to try to return back to you know quote unquote what they consider sort of normal functioning right. while having these symptoms and not being distressed about them moving forward exactly that and
1: and you know in this in this paper that i'm referencing There are four key themes that popped up, which were, again, labeling. I want to know what I have so that I can actually put some language to it to explain what I'm I'm going through. Uh, How did I end up like this, right? To put their story, their narrative together. Just like, just again, people with pain. We want to know, you know, we want to put our pain narrative together. We want to put the story together to make sense of our situation. And third, you know, seeking support for treatment, like who's going to help me? Who can I talk to? Who can I trust? Who understands that this is a real problem for me, even though it's poorly defined across the medical professionals? Of course it is. But you're acknowledging that, yes, I hear you. And this is real for you. And and we're going to do something about it. And Lastly it was how can i cope with this issue with this condition what can i do how can i help myself and what can you do to help me
0: Absolutely yeah and thank you for bringing that um bringing out those themes because i was going to ask you know wh- what are some you know kind of common themes um that you see you know with your your clients and i think that certainly is i i mean i get asked the same you know the same questions um is there anything else that you find, you know, working with, whether it be, you know, pelvic pain um, or hard flaccid syndrome, you know, are are there any other commons that you see, like, in the client population? Like, is there anxiety? Um, Yes. Well, of course. Yeah. Very distressing.
1: I mean, they're, they're, there's always an anxiety or a very distressing thoughts that precipitate any type of change in uh, a body part functioning, particularly a body part that is very rarely talked about, often stigmatized or used with humor, right? Especially for men. Um, And, and we, we have social cultural barriers and mainstream media perceptions of quote unquote again for cisgender men as far as masculinity goes and portrayals and what to expect and the inability or not inability but um the the lack of expressing emotions that men shouldn't express emotions and you just have to stick you know live with it or whatever it is. So those are part of the picture and and someone's narrative. Again, I can't say particularly for which individual, how much yeah. or what, but yeah. Yeah. I know that this is a real, you know, this is what's going on in, in society as far as these constructs go, these social constructs go. And and so yes, anxiety and distress and there's huge mistrust in the medical community, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, for men just seeking help because they, they're they often distressed Dismissed. There's often this lack of validation and affirmation of what's going on for them, and then also there's grief. Mm. I like mean, to the common theme about grief. Grief around a body part uh, that you connected with, and was once pleasurable and worked and a form of uh, expressing your sexuality with yourself and with part with your partner or partners you know that's part when that part is lost there's grief that happens around there and there's also anger and frustration and hopelessness and helplessness so you know you lose that connection and when you lose that connection you know you lose a part of yourself and uh, how yeah. you function in the world and so that's a big threat to You as a person, it's your existence. And so I think reestablishing that uh, sexual identity or the uh, connection with oneself as a sexual being is really important and you have to start to trust in your body and and you need a uh, healthcare providers and wellness providers to be on the same page and speak the same language as far as helping you to navigate a very distressing and challenging time in your life and you don't have to do it alone and so you know sex therapists psychologists counselors yeah. and and physios uh, particularly those who are comfortable working with men uh, and and who understand the the topics and the discussions that we're having and are comfortable because there are, not everyone is comfortable, right? Yep. <laughs> not everyone is comfortable, even though, you know, they'll say they treat men. And I, I, I get it. We, are all com- we all have our comfort levels, and I at one point did as well. Um, but it's really, a, from a clinical perspective, is we have to start to get comfortable with our own discomfort to truly be of benefit to the, uh, the person that we're working with. And, um, and if we can't, then I think we need to honor that, but also then refer out. Because yeah. Then that's a huge disservice for the person in front of you, and and men want people to take a look at their parts, just like any other part of their body, yep. like their nose, their finger, their toes, whatever. Like, please take a look at the parts that hurt me. I want to show you where it hurts without having the stigma of oh, it's it's going to be se- something sexual, right? Absolutely. And just because there's a just because there's a an erection in the room, uh, it doesn't mean that that there's a there's an underlying context of arousal or some mal in it in uh, you know mal intention and no you're you're touching genital you know touching erectile tissue and genitals which naturally stimulate a reflex and so if you again if you're very like matter of fact and you Really have healthy boundaries. That shouldn't be an issue. But I, I digress. I apologize. Uh,
0: well, no. I think. It, uh, well, no. I think it's an important di- discussion around you know comfort levels. But I, I agree that um, you know when I ask men in my assessment, like you know, has somebody mm-hmm. looked? They're like no, exactly. and I was like okay, and <laughs> let's you know like you know I'll have a client be like I have a curvature. I, have, I was like okay, well, um, has anybody ever looked at it? No, nobody's ever looked at it, nor did I think to actually go to somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, to see, right. Like, you know, there's an injury and all of a sudden, you know, scar tissue, you get a curvature and it's like, okay, well that, you know, we're going to need to take a look at that and, and see what we can do from a, you know, from the tissue perspective to see if we can release the scar tissue. Right.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's giving permission for that person to to help put their their story together to explain to build trust this therapeutic relationship, this alliance I think is so important and you know I think as clinicians and realizing that there's huge distrust this mistrust when yeah. um, a guy is walking into your office and has been dismissed and has finally found someone that is like, "Oh my gosh." you understand You're the only person that understands and you'd be surprised with how much of their story they're willing to share with you just when they're given the opportunity and permission to do so without feeling judged, criticized, or thinking that, you know, you're, you know, they're worried about what we're thinking, particularly if you're, uh, an opposite gender therapist, you know, they're worried about crossing boundaries and making sure that you're not getting the wrong impression. And, um, but they're also like, so thankful that you're open and willing to have these conversations. Conversations very candidly um, to be able to help move them forward.
0: Yeah, and I think certainly uh, the other piece I would say with therapist comfort is you know, if you're asking them to do a technique, you know, Mm -hmm. showing them how, Mm -hmm. right, you assess and then you say, Mm -hmm. okay, here's the technique that we're going to use doing the technique getting them to you know ask questions because they they also fear injuring themselves right so you can give them homework but if they're like scared to do it because they're worried that they're you know so they need reassurance as well right to be able to take on the care moving forward right otherwise they're just going to rely on us to do it for them and yes like we have a role but you know, they're going to have to do it more frequently than the amount of times that they actually see us. Right. right. So, right. So, you know, there, there needs to, we need to help build self-efficacy and mm-hmm. comfort and reassurance for them to take the treatment into their own hands moving forward.
1: Absolutely. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I guess what I'd like to, um, you know, ask is, you know, when you're, so you have, if you have a client coming in, they're self kind of identifying, okay, I have Mm -hmm. hard flaccid, Um, you know, from a physiotherapist perspective, like what are things that you are assessing for, what do you sort of, Mm -hmm. Ruling in, ruling out, just, you know, like there may be therapists out there who um, are new to men's pelvic health or want to get into pelvic health and, and probably are like, I don't even know, like, where do I, where do I begin?
1: Yes, that's a good question. So where do you begin? You would definitely begin with their story. Honestly, the first hour of my uh, evaluation is really just listening and offering a space to be heard and through the story and through putting together their narrative and doing a very, um, again, non-judgmental, very welcoming, open-ended question regarding sexual health and, what, and and the onset of these symptoms and what really happened, you know, again, letting them know as a matter of, you know, very matter of fact, hey, this is a very common theme that we know uh normalizing what's happening for them and saying like you know can you tell me a little bit about when this all started what was going on you know i'm not here to judge you know, you can disclose whatever you'd like to disclose or not. I'm here to listen. And again, again giving permission to talk about their sexual health and their sexual narrative, because again, oftentimes uh, hard flaccid is, again, we mentioned it's a precipitating traumatic event to the tissues, most often associated with some sort of sexual activity or physical activity. And so again, we're just giving them permission to say, hey, I hear you. And if, you know, we can have this conversation together and I won't judge you. Uh, So yes, their story is where I start. And then from there, you know, I ask a ton of questions. Every person is going to have a very unique assessment. I'm a person that does not follow protocol or, you know, black and white cookie cutter, do this test, do that. No, because we know tests and measures are not very you know, they're not very valid and to some extent, especially with physio tests as far, as far as I'm learning from what I learned a decade ago in PT school that, oh, wow, they're not as valid as we thought. But anyway, for something like hard flaccid or even pelvic health, there aren't really many. It's really about getting the person to explore their body. And I do that from a very experiential uh, assessment style type where I'm like, okay, let's just see how you're moving. I want to see lumbopelvic mobility because a lot of the spinal reflexes to the penis are T10 all the way to, you know, S2, 3, 4, right? So I want to see like their body awareness, mindfulness, breathing patterns, um uh, ability to shift focus and attention, concentration. So again, I'll kind of incorporate that in a very fluid exam, right? I'll, I do a lot of yogi yoga type movements, uh, as far as just assessing full function from a you know from that perspective, strength and range of motion and that sort of thing. And then on the table, as far as the pelvic assessment goes, you know, I, I do a lot of education beforehand, again, just to get consent verbally again to say, hey, this is why I'm looking at your tissues. At, by all means, you have permission to say no. Uh, and we don't, you know, again, we just don't go to the genitals straight away. We, we really kind of build trust. Um, and I'm asking questions about, well, how does that feel like in your body? Like when you do this position or this pose, or you take a moment to breathe, you know, does this change how you're feeling in your body? It's really what I'm looking for. Can we make a change? And person's experience within their body Mm -hmm. and then on the table the same thing goes I say you know I'm going to feel your spine I'm gonna feel your belly I'll have you breathe um, before we even get to the parts that hurt and then I I kind of again with this very matter of fact I always tell them you may or may not have a physiological reaction an erection and that is completely normal to, to experience because we're going to be touching your genitals and genital touch usually elicits a reflex and so i kind of burn the candle already i put it out because that's one thing that is on their mind for sure as far as like what if i get an erection what, what do i they, do what do i do oh my god what are they going to
0: think right and
1: what yeah. are they going to think and i don't want to be inappropriate and et etc cetera, et cetera. but if you really just lay it out there and just say you know hey this happens is very common. I totally understand. You know, you keep, I'm professional, you're a professional, it's not gonna be an issue, um, et cetera, et cetera. And not to mention that is You know, again, from a therapeutic perspective, if you have blood flow to the penis, you can actually assess blood flow to the penis and that person can actually tell you like, okay, this is when it hurts or this is not when it's hurting. Again, in a non-sexual, there's, you know, again, just because just like with women, you know, wetness, quote unquote, doesn't mean that you're aroused or it's just it, just because the man's having an erection doesn't mean that they're associating it with something sexual. That's all. Um, yeah. It's, it's, again, it is also a reflex and we need to know, know about that. Um, so anyway, so then I'll have them kind of show me, like, tell me, show me on your body what you're experiencing or show me where it hurts or what are you seeing? Stand up, show me. Cause oftentimes it's lying down is different versus standing up. So I'll have them stand up slide down just show me show me what's going on in your body can we reproduce uh, what you're experiencing right? Um, Or can you show me what's going on? And so, you know, oftentimes we're going through that together. And then my role again is to help them experience something different in their body. And oftentimes, you know, I might not be able to, again, I'm not going to feel what they're feeling and I might not be able to even see the changes in their penis because this is the first time I've seen this part of their body, but they've seen their part of their body since they, you know, (laughs) for their whole life. For the whole life. Yep. Right. I mean, so I have to go by, I have to believe you have to, as a clinician, you have to believe what the person is telling you. And sometimes I'll offer even, you know, if, you've, if you notice changes in your penis that I'm not able to see today, or we're not able to elicit today, but you notice it, snap a picture. <laughs> snap a picture and upload it to your client portal or bring it in on your phone and I can, we can take a look so you can show me. Because again, I, I might not be able to elicit or those symptoms might not be ar- arising at the moment. And, it, and it's okay. And so I tell them, like, just because we're not seeing things today in the way that you're seeing seeing them or feeling them, that's okay. I still believe you. And so that's basically my intake. I, I sometimes, I may or may not do an internal assessment, depending if it's appropriate um, for that person. Sometimes that person is just, like, you know, having anything internally done is, um, you know, not comfortable or it's just not part of their, you know, they just don't want to have that done for whatever reason. And again, asking permission and consent is huge. Consent to touch their body anywhere, but also to, to perform an internal um, assessment. Um, so you have to ask yourself, why am I what am I doing? You know, why am I, why would I want to do that? And what inform, What more information is it going to give me? And then, you know, assessing sensation, I forgot to mention that, you know, assess, assessing sensation, um, you know, foreskin, as far as like mobility of the tissues go, um, erectile tissue mobility, you know, um, you know, you're assessing all of that, uh, sensation, what's their sensory awareness like, Um, pelvic floor, you know, pelvic muscle, are they guarded? Are they tense? But here's the caveat, you know, they have somebody, you know, they have somebody looking at their private parts for the first time. I think we can all agree that's for some people that might bring about some tension and some reflexive guarding. So even if you do sense like tension in the pelvic muscles, that might just be like a, I'm nervous someone's looking and it's a protective response. And that, again, that's also okay. But That shouldn't be a pathology in my opinion yeah for sure (laughs) normal that's a normal reaction to have and i also say that to them too i said you know because they'll often tell me like oh i saw so and so or the doctor did an internal and they said i was so tight super tight like the tightest they've ever seen well i'm like okay well how did you feel while you were getting that exam done oh, it was so uncomfortable right? <laughs> or it hurt or I didn't, you know, I was cold or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, well, do you think that your muscles would respond in that way too? He's like, yeah. And I said, so how accurate is that assessment? <laughs> you know, so I think it's more, again, normalizing because oftentimes we're told a lot of it's part of my language, bullshit. We're, t- we're told a lot of fear mongering stuff. Oh, you're this or you're that or your body's not moving this way or that way and you should do this or that should feel like that. Who says where did that come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question. I I tend to talk a lot. so
0: That's, that's okay. <laughs> I, you know, I I think, you know, sort of you've highlighted that the first part is really asking a lot of questions, getting subjective, getting their stories looking to see how they're moving, right? Um, what I like, you know, and I think as physiotherapists who maybe are new to men's health, like, you know, we're learning, okay, this is how you do the assessment. Here's what you need to do. Um, so we're kind of like, okay, what you know, sort of what do I do next and what's the next step? Um, where, you know, definitely one thing I found when it comes to the way that you describe it is you're very fluid and you're very mm-hmm. – um, Open to understand. You're you're really trying to get the person to help understand themselves. Correct. Um, and I think that you know comes with comfort and some experience and 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 mm-hmm. you know getting getting sort of used to working um, with this population. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you you know you're looking at range of motion. You don't start right at the genitals, right? Like I'll often start with like, let's talk, you know, a little bit about posture. Let's Mm -hmm. look to see how you're breathing. You know, let's take a look at your abdominal wall. Let's just see how Mm -hmm. it moves. And like, let me feel around and you let me know, like, does does anything feel different when I do this? And, yeah, you know, then I'll go to the legs and I'll be like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's look at, you know, your adductors and your quads and like, what's, right? you know, what's the tissue feel like there? Is there anything there that we even need to work on right and then kind of moving into um you know working the more getting into the more private areas right again
1: exactly (laughs) Exactly. right permission and i love that you summarize it that way you know it's a bit of a self-guided discovery you know you're just coaching them and facilitating but you know really it's they're coming into you with those puzzle pieces. They already have the answer. It's like a jigsaw puzzle and you're helping them put it together all the way from from the beginning of their story to their narrative, but also to their biological narrative right like what can we make how can we change if we move your body in this way or if you breathe in this way if you stand in this way does that change your experience in your body because only you will know and for in my practice I feel like 100% of my work is having that person just be more aware of their body and feel safe again in their body and so that's that's my role really is to help Mm -hmm. them feel safe again in their body and to be able to trust their body um, in ways that they've again they're grieving. That loss, and so you know, what can we do? And then having the conversation, which I forgot to mention about, there's a lot of uncertainty in what we do as physios and outcomes. And I have to be transparent with the person in front of me too, and saying, you know, we're gonna try some stuff, we're gonna do some stuff, but I can't guarantee. You know, there's no guarantee, and (laughs) we have to leave some room for uncertainty and a bit of flexibility here. You know, what's your, how willing are you? (laughs) <laughs> to explore you know to explore your body to explore this in this way knowing that hey sometimes you you might have to that sometimes this might come up again sometimes you know it, just like pain right you're probably familiar with it there's sometimes that we can't help the person in pain and that they they might have to be in pain for an indefinite amount of time so how do we help with the coping part, the life skills, the the mental flexibility um, and the persistence to to keep going forward and, and to basically know, to
0: redefine and thrive and yeah. in, in a new normal. Right? Right. Um, right. And, you know, this pandemic certainly is giving us <laughs> yeah. all a taste of what it means. <laughs> Um, you know, there's different ways that we approach. I mean, like for sure, there was a grieving period for me as well. Like my whole, you know, your whole life is literally upheavaled and it's like, okay, I can talk about what life used to be like pre COVID Mm -hmm. and like, I want it back and I want that, but that door may be closed, right? It's uncertain what's going to happen. So you, you know, when you can turn and say, okay, well, this is, this is my reality right now. What is the next best step I can do? to Mm -hmm. adapt and adjust to this new environment so that I can get back to thriving in the new normal, right? So I kind of use that example as well when I talk about pain as well. Like Mm -hmm. right now, this is where it's at. What can we do together to elicit a change, even if it's a small one, Mm -hmm. that we can then build off of? Exactly. 100% well said. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's, uh, you know, This is going to be a general discussion around, um, you know, treatment approaches. Cause you said like, Mm -hmm. we're going to try this and we're going to see how you respond. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of those things that you might Mm -hmm.
1: try absolutely love that question so what are some treatments for <clears throat> excuse me hard flaccid or even i would say overlapping chronic pelvic pain syndrome and chronic prostatitis. really again it's sometimes postural adjustments um, breathing is huge focus breathing mindfulness mindfulness is actually quite helpful again there's no research or literature to support it the, this claim but in my clinical practice <coughs> Um, I've noticed that uh, increasing body awareness and proprioception and the ability to shift one's attention away from a part that's literally grabbing your attention and, and, and distressing you is important because that changes cortical you know, neural connections and and such. So I think that's important to be able to shift to and from and to prioritize. Again, mindfulness and being aware is actually a choice. It's a choice to say, I hear this part is coming up for me. I know the sensation that I'm feeling in my body. You know, can I have healthy non-attachment, basically? Can I still be, can that sensation be present without the narrative or storyline that comes with it? And it's really the distress, the distress that comes with any type of change in our life that, in my opinion, causes the suffering. But if we can minimize that distress and work with our thoughts and work with sensations um, in, in in ways that are more um, adaptive and, and healthy to cope with, then um, success is better, you know, and then you can still move forward. So I tend to be very... Um, Mindful of those types of cognitive behavioral practices and psychologically informed practices, because it's very important. You cannot you can't just treat a body without con- um, considering the emotional learning aspects that have occurred um, for that person and the associations made. So I think that's really important. So within my training, I have a lot of training with the psychologically informed um, strategies and tools. So again, I mentioned mindfulness, um, sensory integration techniques, I think are huge as far as you know, touching one's body, um, but being able to be present with the sensation alone And not the narrative. So uh, smooth, firm, you know, sharp, um, cold, hot, warm, you know, just being present with sensation and being able to label sensations, but not being attached to the storyline that comes with it. And so we practice that as far as mapping, sensory mapping, pleasure hunting, you know, in for men in particular, uh, you know, again, I'm speaking for cisgender men and the my population that I usually work with is men are it's usually like masturbation. It's, It's a goal. It's a it's a performance oriented function. Right. It's a goal. Harder to the better, the faster whatever right yeah, and I don't have a penis. I totally acknowledge that I am married to one uh, who have who has one so but uh, but in any case, you know when when you're talking about touch and being present with sensations and exploring one's body I don't think that's a message that is portrayed to men I think it's more of this got you know one way, this is how it happens, penis vagina masturbation hard right When I talk to people who have penises, I'm like, have you ever touched your body parts, but just to explore with curiosity without having the pressure to perform or it leading to something? Have have you ever been curious, like touch your testicles your scrotum or this foreskin or your, the glands or anything like, have you ever done that? In most cases, no. (laughs) And so that's part of the treatment strategy for me is like, can you explore your parts just with compassionate curiosity? be with the sen- sensation, find parts that, you know, you might thought hurt, but maybe they don't with softer touch. And again, there's so many different sensors you can activate. So I'm all about like, you know, again, working with the nervous system, adding breath work, um, taking the pressure to perform off the table. Um, and then again, reestablishing and reframing the, their, the connection to themselves and to their body part, particularly around sexual health and functioning, I might use things like, um, or have them explore with vibration, you know, like a regular um, garden variety vibrator, you know, does that change? You know what's ha- You know how you feel in your body. Maybe mapping around the uh, the dermatomes or the overlapping neural, neurovascular structures in the abdomen and and sacral spinal nerve roots. Um, movement techniques like cat cow and um, child's pose and just breathing. And of course, definitely re-engaging the pelvic muscles, working on coordination, squeeze release, which is very important for. Sexual function, particularly with ejaculation, and to maintain an erection, and so we're we're helping any type of input, sensory-wise, movement, touch, breath work is going to change the output, and that's kind of what we're we're getting at as far as from a bottom up and top down approach.
0: I have a question, um, for it. because it's come up, and I think it's and and I think it's coming up because it's in the forums um, when we talk about pelvic floor muscle coordination, right? Because mm-hmm. I think in many cases, the men in their minds believe that tightness is a problem, right? I'm tight, I'm tight. It's, mm. you know, I'm tight, I'm tight, you know? Um, and so mentioning pelvic floor use, right? It's important to relax the pelvic floor, but it's also important to squeeze the pelvic floor and move it through its full range of motion. Because Mm -hmm. again, you still need to stimulate the nerve endings. And, you know, if there is nerve injury, like you want to guide nerve regeneration through use. But I think men are afraid to squeeze their pelvic floor because they're like, no, no, no. They told me I'm tight i i I can feel it, I'm super, super tight, like I don't want to squeeze, it's mm. gonna make me worse um and so that that you know that's a concern that I sort of get and 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 I'm like, okay, you know, I guess again, going back to what are the beliefs centered around and having discussions around that, but have you encountered that at all, and like how 100%. do hundred percent okay, so how do you respond to this <laughs> lots
1: of damage control there. It it really you you. Words are like toothpaste. I've heard somebody say that before. Words are like toothpaste. Once they're out, you can't put them back in. And our words are very powerful. And how we use our words Mm. and what context is very powerful. And they can have a placebo or nocebo effect. Oftentimes, in a noceobic, and nocebic way, our language does harm. And and that's one of them. It's a good example that you're bringing up now because that. It's a fixation on a muscle, just purely muscle pathology and I have to do a lot of, what I do is educate knowledge. I say, what drives muscle function? If you didn't have your nervous system and let's say I plugged the cord, I I pulled the cord on your nervous system. What do you think what would happen to your muscle tone? it's going to change it's going to change it's going to be very soft it's going to let go you know you and it's electricity driven and neurochemical processes and I literally take them through like the journey of biology and physiology of like this is how it works you know and if there's a threat you're going to tense and that's a normal thing to happen. It's a protective response. And so I go into some of those educational components, not to be overwhelming because again, if someone is that you have to assess as a clinician, you have to assess the um, how ingrained that belief is Mm -hmm. because we have to dance. We have to be with, we have to, again, we have to dance with our, our patients, our clients, you know, we get kind of be, you know, sometimes you lead, sometimes they lead, sometimes you follow, sometimes they follow. And I think, you really, again, it's going down to the trust factor and you may have to sprinkle in these little knowledge nuggets as you go or Mm. do an experiential learning uh, experiment with them, right? Like, you know, maybe talking about a different body part. I like to use the fist analogy, like squeezing your fist and relaxing your fist. Like, go ahead and tense your fist. Squeeze, 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 let it go. And then I say, how'd you do that? (laughs) That's tension, right? You're squeezing but then you let it go. How did you do that? And then I have them play with the, you know, how much they're squeezing and how much they're letting go. And then I go into, well, how do you really measure muscle tension and tightness in the pelvic floor? What objective assessment is there? How do you know what normal is? You don't know what normal is. And then, you know, if you didn't have any tension down there, you'd be pooping and peeing on yourself and you wouldn't even be able to ejaculate like sexual function would be non-existent if you didn't have this synchrony and this coordination Mm -hmm. and the strength and the tone. And so I think we do a lot of, again, damage control, education, experiential, you know, learning. And you do that based on the individual in front of you and their willingness to, to hear something different right always just asking like hey do you want to want to hear what I think about that I mean I know some other things about that do you want to learn how this part of your body works because if they're not really at all interested again it's like throwing spaghetti at a brick wall I don't know if that answers your question, but...
0: Well, you know, it just helps me reflect on, you know, my practice as well, you know, because I think as clinicians, we're always evolving and trying to find a way Mm -hmm. to best serve this population. Um, You know, as a pelvic floor physio, it's like, this is, you know, this is how you're assessing tone. But then you're right. You're saying like, well, yeah, if they're nervous and they're going to, you know, there's going to be tone. And what does that even mean? Right. In the context of a therapeutic approach. Um, And so I find that, you know, being asked the question, like, did you find me, you know, did you, does it, does it feel tight down there? I find it very difficult to answer that question because if it is, you know, it could be any number of reasons. Right. Um, But then it's like, yeah, but then you were able to let it go. So then, right. So are you really tight if you're able to let it go? Exactly. (laughs) So, so I find it difficult. And I think as a clinician, you know, like you want to give an answer, um, you're trying to figure it out in your own head too. It's like, okay, you know, we're told, you know, pelvic floor tightness, pelvic floor weakness, here's what you do. And I, and I don't think there's um, an exact formula, Um, but you're right. What I like to, um, or what I've attempted to do in these types of situations is assess. Well, can you squeeze? What does that feel like? Can, what, can you feel it let go from the Mm -hmm. squeeze? You know, there's contract relax techniques. There's like you said, Um, coordination, you know, those muscles are contracting every time you move. So you're actually using them. You're squeezing them all the time. All the time.
1: Absolutely. And you're totally right in all of that and all accounts. And when somebody asks me, like, am I tight? Do you feel it? I'll say, well, what do you feel? Do you feel like you're tight? Is this tight to you? You know, show me where it's tight. And then my role at that point would be, let's see if we can change that. Yeah. Yeah. I like their experience, you know, so I say, okay, so go ahead and take a couple deep breaths, breathing in and out, squeeze gently and release, maybe move a leg, (laughs) bring your knee to your chest, Uh, whatever the position they're in, right? Like you're trying to change that experience, Mm -hmm. right? They, They say it's tight. It's tight. I believe you. 100%. I might be feeling a complete opposite because this is my subjective, my sensors, my brain, my bias, all of that coming into it, right? And I'm gonna and for me to say, well, no, it's not tight. That's just not validating what they're feeling in their body. I need to accept that, and I need to say, okay, let's work with it
0: yeah, no i I think i I like that um approach of you know validating what they feel because they're the ones in their body, correct, um yeah which is an important narrative for us working in this type of population or with these types of conditions. I think, you know, we just don't get enough. I think sometimes it gets a little too, not orthopedic, but too, um, what's the word? Like you have to do it like this.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, where we're not being taught to be comfortable with, okay, where do I go next? And like, you know, let's let's mm-hmm. let's try this and being more fluid. And, and so that's definitely one of the things that I got from your course was like learning to be more fluid with mm-hmm. the assessment and being okay. Sometimes like, okay, I'm not feeling anything, but you know, they are. So what do we do?
1: Exactly. And you're, again, it's a self-guided discovery. You're just there to facilitate, not to fix. And I think it's a mindset shift mm. for us therapists to be like, I don't have all the answers. And that's hard to admit for anyone i don't know and i i don't know and you know what people appreciate that when you're super transparent and you're saying you know we don't have a lot of research on this and this is stuff that you know we are figuring out together and i'm here to help you and let's see if we can change what you're experiencing in your body and if this doesn't work for you we'll try something else you know don't try to keep beating the same drama over and over again, when you're not helping that person move forward, use something else, do something different, be creative, think outside of the box. It's really important. And you two as a team, it's a team yeah. effort. And again, it's a mindset shift. It's a mindset shift and it's really being comfortable with that and, and, and sitting with your own discomfort. 100%
0: uh, that, that's definitely one of the things working you know, in pelvic health, sometimes you have to sit in your discomfort and you go to the research and then you're like, okay, there is none. All right. So I'm just going (laughs) to go, I'm going to go with, you know, people who have, you know, I'm going to look for other clinicians Mm -hmm. who, what are they doing and how are they approaching it to get ideas on how to be more flexible and bring in different ways of thinking about treating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to... um, Ask if are there any cause men will ask about like things like dry needling, shockwave, um, you know, laser ultrasound, you know, anything and everything that they're reading on these forums. Like what what do you like in your experience Have have men undergone these treatments? Okay, you're cringing. So, yes,
1: I'm cringing a little bit over here because I'm like, "Uh, there's not nothing is conclusive, basically, based on the research. And I get it. You know, we can't wait for research to catch up and you try these things. But really, again, it's it's a find it and fix it kind of thing. Um, We know as far as dry needling goes and from my research and I'm also biased. I'm speaking from a biased perspective here in a lens. there isn't really a lot to support it and in fact i think that we can, for some for some situations and some contexts we may be doing more harm than good because you depending on your experience depending on the person you know if this is a neuropraxia or neuropathy and you are dry needling in areas that you're just not familiar with and there are so many branchings of superficial nerves in this area it you might be causing more harm than good and i Again, I preface that with, (laughs) I'm not a dry needler, but it's just the experiences, my clinical experiences and all the research I've done in this topic. um, I just don't think that it's, you know if it's used in conjunction with all these other things that we're talking about, the psychological, the social aspects, um, including the biological aspects, then, you know, of course, manual therapies have a place and they are very powerful, but you, you have, it's in that, and on that note, it is very powerful. What we, the, the sensory inputs the experience that that person has in their body with our touch, with whatever we're using, a tool, a ball, a needle, that is going to change the story, their neurological narrative and what's happening as far as do they feel safe. And if they are on the table and it's painful, you're, you're replaying the same cycle over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm, I'm afraid of. You know, I, I, I'm really cautious about that, those things because then they also, then it goes like to trigger points, you know. Yes, tender points exist. They exist. You have tender parts and p- parts of your body. I can actually touch my upper trap and squeeze it and hurt, and it's going to hurt. Is it a pathology or a muscle knot that we really need to be chasing? No. No. In fact, really, <laughs> there's not many papers that actually state, and Deneni and colleagues in that one paper about um, trigger point therapy for non cancer pain stated we need to put this to rest. Trigger point therapy is not helpful. <laughs> That is a very rare paper to make a claim that says there's no more research to be done. It's done. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. So, you know, I can see all sides, I get it. But in most cases, like these modalities, they still keep the person very fixated on there's something has to be done to me in order to get better when in fact it's a supportive element, not necessarily the cure. And we, we don't need to be chasing that. It's the same thing with the tightness is it yeah. like your muscles are tight we need to stretch them we need to do whatever blah 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 and it's like we're really we're missing the boat we're missing the boat use those but they should be used with caution they should be should used with how is this person experiencing it do they mm-hmm. like needles is this yeah. is this pleasurable for them is this feeling good in their body and if it's not why are you doing it agreed and
0: That's and you know and going with i think you know the manual therapy and the 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 stretching um I think, you know, what it comes down to is does the client find it helpful? Right. Right. Does it make them feel better? Right. Exactly. Um, Exactly. If it does, great. Um, If it's not, that's when we need to pivot and be like, okay, we need to try a different route that may be a hands-off route. Maybe it's a movement, you know, Um, maybe it's a stretching, you know, again, if it feels good. Right. Um but I think I guess what you're saying is the biggest thing is is how can we get the person to feel something different? So if they feel a tight muscle, okay, how can we help them f- feel something other than a tight muscle? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And and to that note I I will
1: say um Oh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I was going to say something. and I just lost my train of thought. It's like the most important the, thing that you're going to say. I know. Say. I, no, no, no. I know. And I was just like, what was I, I was going to say about that? Oh, I, I got it back. I got it back. Woo. Um, there's a notion that in order to get better, and I'm not saying this for everyone, but I'm seeing this as a theme. And, and I also believe this back when that if it doesn't hurt, it's not working. Mm-hmm if it doesn't hurt, it's not working. And that is false. There's this premise that I have to do more. I have to stretch more. I have to push more. I have to feel more because if I'm not, then I'm not doing it right. And I'm not going to get better. Mm -hmm. That again, excuse my language is bullshit. (laughs) That is a belief. I don't know where it came from, but it is a belief about Nope. You know, if I don't feel any pain, then there's no gain. And that is not the case when we're dealing with pelvic health concerns. It should never be the case because you're just treating pain with more pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's, again, that's something you have to have a discussion with with your client is like, do you have to fight so hard? Are you, you know, is there approach like a bull in a China shop? Do more, do more, do more. Cause if you tell a guy to do something, they're going to do 110%. <laughs> and maybe one of our roles is to pull it back soften in your body yeah find stillness do less is more i tell people less is more and it goes so far you don't have to be doing so much and throwing the kitchen sink at it and sometimes clinicians do the same thing you don't give it enough time we're not really we think we've got to do something all the time and change it and I don't know. I guess we're just, we're just, it's just this impatience (laughs) and we have to be more patient and allow things to have their natural Mm -hmm. course, right? Like let the nervous system do its thing and, and nerves take a while to heal, right? Like nerves do take some time, just, you know, different from muscle tissue, different from ligaments and connective tissue, you know, there's, there's different expected healing times and they do take time. So patience for on um, both accounts.
0: Okay, anyway, yeah.
1: that's what I was yeah. going to say. Thank you so much for giving me the oh, space to do that. Absolutely.
0: Totally. <laughs> um this has been really wonderful. It's definitely given me food for thought as well as I, you know, work on uh, you know, expanding you know, expanding my knowledge. I'd love to just like hang out with you for a week and just be like <laughs> To download everything but you know <laughs> maybe in future um, oh, yeah I know right oh <laughs> but um, but no it's it's really helpful and I think it it's helpful to us physios who are also you know like we're trying we, we really we really want to help we really 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 want to help we know it's distressing um, you know I sometimes feel distressed that they're distressed and I'm like, I want to make it better faster. Um, right. So, so I think, you know, I think it's just a good reminder for all of us to take a moment to breathe and allow the nervous system to, to do what it needs to do, um, to get us better. I want to ask a couple of final questions, which is more related to, I want to ask about your podcast. Um, you know, because I want to know, I, I want you to tell everybody what your podcast is about, um, I know you have online programs, you have a new book coming out. Tell us all about it.
1: Thank you so much for the, these shameless plugs. Uh, so I do have a podcast that's called In Your Pants, and it's really about sexual health and pelvic health and pain geekiness, so neuroscience of pain. Uh, it's a combination of all that, and I'm, I am mostly gearing it towards men's pelvic health and sexual health. Um, So that it's a little bit more uh, dominant in that area. And you mentioned the book. Yes, uh, my book, Pelvic Pain, The Ultimate Cock Block is a book for men to help them navigate through um, their pelvic pain journey. And the updated version is um, coming out this in August, there's been some snafus and a lot of um, just roadblocks this this time around, and that's okay. You know, it is what it is, as my little sign says here in my office. Uh, <laughs> it's a reminder. So, but yeah, at the, uh, hopefully at the end of this month, the print version will be available, and the uh, Kindle or EPUB version will be available in September. Um, so I appreciate everyone's patience with that. And you had asked me about
0: online programs (laughs) oh online programs that's right
1: so currently the online programs that are available are my you know, I have a 15 minute consultation. I also have a consulting coaching program um, that I offer for people all over the globe. And I have a men's DIY pelvic pain relief program that is a self paced um, individual uh, program, pre recorded, uh, six weeks um, as far as going from assessment to self treatment, um, and tons of resources. So that is what I have available as far as um, online.
0: Amazing. If people want to find this information and they want to follow you, where can people find you?
1: I can be found at drsusieg.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-I-E-G.com. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: Amazing. And we'll put those links in the show notes for people to easily access um, and follow follow you. Thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate the space. I have really appreciated this conversation with you. Like I said, you're somebody that like I look up to. And so, you know, I I just am grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Madeline. Thank you so much. And uh, it's an honor, really and of course we always want to thank our listeners who join us uh if you're first time and you've liked the podcast you know be sure to subscribe because every week is a new topic um and if you know somebody who's experiencing pelvic pain share this out um and if you've enjoyed our podcast episodes leave us leave us a review um We would really greatly appreciate that. So on that note, I say goodbye and until next time. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.